0: chapter 2. We're going to start there tonight, and then we'll go to our sheet, right? Colossians chapter 2. We are looking at victory over the enemy tonight. We've been talking about the fact that he is not as uh, strong as he would like you to think he is, that he doesn't have all the power uh, that he likes to think, you, uh, think he has, and that God has a plan now for victory. But I want you to see, before we even start, that the victory is already won. Right? <clears throat> the victory is already won. We're in a war, and the worst thing we can do in this war is ignore the enemy and pretend he's not there. And very often, uh, that's what believers do. Uh, he is at work, and um, <clears throat> he, he wants to make ground while he can. We're going to start reading at verse 9. I'm right, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, <clears throat> are we there? Okay. Colossians 2 and verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of sins uh, of, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faithful operation of Christ, who hath raised him from the dead, operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Right? So understand this that you are not just you. Right, if you're saved tonight, you have been raised to walk in newness of life with Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Right now, And that's, that's a truth that you know. unless we actually take it on board and realize it uh, and live it, we're going to struggle in the whole area of spiritual warfare because we're no match for the enemy. We've got to take on, on board the fact that we are his, that <clears throat> he is risen, that his power is available to us. Uh, we have his strength because that's the only way we're going to win uh, in this warfare. Now watch what else it says though. Um, And you, being dead in your sins and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Quicken there means to bring, bring to life. He has quickened you, brought you to life. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross, right? So he dealt with the law. It was dealt with. I'm not living under the law today. What am I living under? Grace. Pardon? Grace? What am I, how effectively how does that work out in my life? What, what am I doing as far as the law is concerned? I'm living under the Spirit, aren't I? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Christ is the end uh, of the law to everyone that believeth, right? Uh, so I'm walking in the Spirit, and as I walk in the Spirit, you know what? I do not have, uh, the, the law is not my focus, the Spirit is my focus. As I walk with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, He keeps the law. I'm okay, I'm doing doing good, right? But that's where, where I'm at, I'm walking in the Spirit. The ordinances and all the rest of it uh, are gone in that sense, and I'm walking in the Spirit, right? And look at verse 15 and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it now what are principalities and powers what's he talking about there Bondages. Pardon? Bondages. okay devil. the devil principalities and powers we'll see it. We're, going to, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 later on and we'll see it in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, <clears throat> but uh, principalities and power, he's talking about the enemy I, he spoiled him. How did he spoil him? What does it mean to spoil, by the way? He destroyed him. How did he destroy him? The cross. Remember the cross. The cross is, cross is the most significant moment in history for a whole bunch of reasons. I'm not sure that we even understand all of them, but one of the reasons it's significant is because the enemy was routed. Remember, he thought he was getting it his way. He thought that if he put Jesus on the cross, that was it. He was finished and he would win. That was the plan. He was going to kill God and then he would won. His plan was going to come to fruit all along. It didn't work. Jesus rose from the dead after three days and showed that his power was greater than Satan's and he spoiled him. And he's making a show of it th- them openly. See, when Jesus walked forth from the grave, he made a show of Satan. Where do you think Satan was as far as the tomb was concerned on the, uh, on the day Jesus rose? Where do you think he was? Where, where, where would you be if your archenemy had been buried and he had said he would r- rise three days later? Where would you be? Pardon? Watching and waiting. I think he was sitting on the tomb. I think he was sitting on the tomb, but he couldn't stop him. He couldn't stop what happened. He couldn't stop the stone rolling back. He couldn't stop Jesus walking out. He was destroyed. So here's what we have. We have Satan, who is very clearly now a defeated foe. He's lost the war. He's lost the war. Jesus won. He has lost the war. When it says making a show of him openly, it means, isn't it, it, that's the term you would use. Well, say, say you were, you were um, Roman army and you came and you defeated some king in another land. And how you would make a show of him openly is you would take him back to Rome and you would lead him down that street in Rome. Where they, they had a street where they led everybody down. You would lead him down that row, that street, and you'd make a show of him openly. I'm bigger than him, I won. That's the terminology there. The terminology is that Jesus has won. The victory is won. So when we talk about us having victory over Satan, we need to understand this, right? That we're not talking about you winning the victory. There's nothing to win. It's already won. We're talking about you standing in the victory that Jesus has already won. We're talking about you taking the victory that he has given you. You don't have to win it. You don't have to do it. You have to take the victory he has already given you. So Satan would have you to believe that he's a formidable foe, and he is. And he would have you believe that he's got the upper hand with you. He doesn't. He's a defeated foe. He's going to try and deceive you into thinking he's not, but he's a defeated foe. He can't do it. Now, Here's something else you need to understand. That if ever Satan gets the better of you, it will be because you let him. Understand that now. Satan's not going to make you do anything. He can't. He doesn't have that power in your life. If ever Satan gets the better of you, it's going to be because you let him. Now understand that. Formidable foe, yes. Will he try and deceive you? Yes. but the reality is his power was broken. Jesus won the victory. Satan is a defeated foe, and you know what? You know it. You need to act like that. You need to treat him like that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Help us, Lord, uh, to live the reality that our enemy is a defeated foe, and Lord, that he has nothing in us, and Lord, that because of you, uh, we have the victory in Jesus. Thank you now, Lord. Amen. All right. First of all, if you're going to have victory, you need to know God's word. Now look with me at Matthew chapter 4. Well, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, and yet without sin. What do you think that means? Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, and yet without sin. What does that mean? What does it mean? Never he never gave in. When it says tempted in all points, what does that mean? In all the ways that we could get tempted. He was tempted with immorality. He was tempted to <clears throat> do it alone and go his own way and do his own thing. He was tempted in all points. What we're going to look at tonight in Matthew chapter 4 is <clears throat> a summary of of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, right? This is not all. And the enemy didn't give up after this. He kept trying with Jesus. But what we're going to see is we're going to see the classic battle between Satan and Jesus. Now, I want you you to see, uh, we're going to look at what he throws at Jesus, and then we're going to look at the answers Jesus gives him, right? Uh, But I want you to know this. I want you to understand this, that if you watch it, what he does is he starts off on the peripheries, Make bread. Well, what's wrong with making bread? If you're hungry and you can make bread, make bread. In fact, you know, Jesus effectively made bread uh, when he fed the 5,000, didn't he? And, you know, so the next one is to cast himself down and God will catch him. Uh, you know, hey. And, but the third one is the one he's going after. Now, catch something of his strategy in this too. He won't hit you full frontal with what he wants you to do. He'll work you up to it, or down to it, perhaps a better term. He'll work you down to it. And you need to be able to answer. And here's the thing. If he can get you to say yes on the smaller thing, he will use the lever to push you on the next, and on the next. So understand that. So what I want to do is he'll start off with something that's insignificant. The only thing significant about it will be that you're doing what he wants you to do. It's no big deal, but you're doing what he wants you to do, and he will push you from there and try and take you down. And the way you're going to deal with him is you're going to have to fight with the Word of God. Now, that means you're going to have to understand the Word of God. You're going to have to know the Word of God. And you say, Pastor, hang on a minute. I'm only saved a few weeks. I don't really know anything about the Word of God. You know what? The Holy Spirit knows what you need, and he'll give it to you, but you're going to have to fight you're going to, have to fight. You're going to have to fight with the Word of God, with truth. You see, lies are always our enemy. Truth is always our friend. doesn't always look like that. Truth sometimes looks like it's going to kill you, doesn't it? You know, if I do the truth, this will ruin me. It's always your friend. Because when you follow the lie, you are always given the enemy space in your life. Right? Truth is always your friend, and lies are always your enemy. Okay, let's delve in. Then was Jesus led up the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, right? Now, why was he why was he led out into the wilderness? To be tempted of the devil. Come on, you gotta wake up. I know it's Wednesday night, but you gotta wake up and hear, respond to me here. Uh, <clears throat> why was he led into the wilderness? He was led into the wilderness to be tempted. That was the purpose of it. Uh, the prayer, He was not just going to fast and pray for the fun of it. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Why was he led into the wilderness to be tempted? How do you know he's holy if you never got tempted? How would you know you're holy if you never got tempted? temptation is a part of life. We, we kind of wish that there was no temptation that we were taken and uh, the te- temptation was removed when we got saved, but no, it's a part of life. It's a part of life that God actually uses. He uses it to help you. He uses it to strengthen you. But Jesus is going to be tested now. Uh, he's going to be tested by the enemy, right? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungry. Now, what, what's going on for the 40 days and the 40 nights? He's been tempted. By who? Have you ever been tempted by Satan? No. Jesus was. Satan put everything he had. This was the big one. He wasn't trusting this to any minion. This was the big one. He was going to give, he was going to work him over good. Now, what are the stakes involved in this tempting and this testing? What if Jesus had blinked and sinned? Where would we be? Finished. Hell. The only way Jesus could pay the price for our sins if he had no sins of his own to pay for. He had to be a holy, sinless sacrifice. And Satan knew it. So he threw everything he could at him for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't give him rest. He pressured him. He pushed him. Do you know that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted in everything you're tempted in? Jesus knows what it's like. He's been there. He's had the enemy all over his case like you never had. He knows what it's like to be tempted over and over and over again. He knows. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, therefore you can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. Jesus knows what it's like for you and I. We can come boldly to him, uh, and he will help us in our time of need. Okay. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, we said it already. What would have been wrong with making the stones bread? He's hungry. He's God. He can do it. What would have been wrong? It's not a big deal. The only thing that would have been wrong with it would have been he's giving in to the enemy. He's letting the enemy have space in his life. Now, <clears throat> we need to catch that one. You don't give him an inch. You don't give him a millimeter. You don't give him any ground in your life at all. We, we, we tend to feel, well, I'll just give in a little. It's just I'm, I'm tired. I'm weary fighting. I'll give in a little. And you give in a little, he's going to push for more. But Jesus doesn't look, what Jesus does. <clears throat> Jesus quotes Scripture to him. It is written, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God." And he rejects him with Scripture. Right? <clears throat> That's Deuteronomy eight, verse three. By the way, uh, <clears throat> he says to him, "Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth, mouth of God." He's not going with him. He's not giving him an inch. And he's got Scripture. To throw at him. And we'll look at it in Ephesians later on, right? But when it comes to you doing battle with the enemy, you do have a weapon. You have the word of God. right? And you have two, you've got the word of God in two senses. You've got truth, the body of truth that's the word of God. But you've also got um, verses that are like little short daggers that you can stab him with. And, and the picture is warfare. The picture is not you, know, the, not, you know, that we're doing something nice and handy with them. The picture is warfare. If you want to get him off your case, you need to have verses. You need to have Bible words that you can throw at him. But understand this, it's not enough for you to just throw verses at him, right? They need to be verses that you've taken on board the truth of. You need to know the truth. You need to understand the truth. It needs to be your truth. It won't do for you to be throwing verses at him uh, that, listen, you don't stand on. You know, Jesus lived by Scripture. You need to live by Scripture and have verses there to throw at him to get him off your case. And And let me say this, this is just from experience. You know, what you'll find is there are some verses that work for you. I don't fully understand that, but there are some verses that you can take and you can use and you can put them to flight. You've got to find those verses. You've got to actually work with those verses. Right? You know, when he comes and tells you that, he, that God doesn't love you, you need to say, no, 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 no. <clears throat> Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Romans 8, John 3, 16. you know, <clears throat> Romans 5, 8 but God commandeth his love towards us in the why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You, know, you need to take and throw those verses at him and you need to put them to flight. Don't, don't let the enemy come in with lies and you just mull them over for a while. He's halfway there if you do. You fight him. Jesus fought him. <clears throat> and Jesus didn't argue with him. He just threw verses, truth at him. Right? <clears throat> Verse 5, Then the devil taketh them up into the holy city and setteth them on a high pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, now Satan's quoting Scripture. Do you know that Satan knows Scripture? Satan knows the Bible. Satan knows the Bible, and he's well able to take and twist it and throw it at you. Um, W.C. is the comedian, he was uh, certainly not a believer, right? Uh, he was against uh, Christianity. Somebody saw him reading the Bible one day, and they looked at him and they said to him, you reading the Bible? And he says, yeah, looking for loopholes, looking for loopholes. I, now, that's what Satan does. Satan takes the Scripture and he looks for loopholes to work you over with in them. And if you listen to him, even when he quotes Scripture, I mean, <clears throat> he's a liar. He won't quote it straight to you. He's always going to leave something off or add something in or twist the emphasis of it or take it out of context. you got to understand that, that, he, that he will bring Scripture, but, you know, he's always going to Twist it in some way. Because he knows it, but he doesn't believe it. It's his enemy, right? <clears throat> and so so now but, but but notice what he's saying to Jesus. <clears throat> um that <clears throat> the angels shall take charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up blessed out any any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Is that true? That's true. That's true. You know what? Now, let me ask you something else. Remember when the guys were in the boat with Jesus, right? <clears throat> and the boat's filling up with water and it's now full and it's about to go down. And Jesus, they wake Jesus up. Peter wakes Jesus up and Jesus sa- says to them, oh, you have little faith. <clears throat> have you no faith? What's your problem, guys? Now, You and I want to scream, but. not we? water. That's the problem. <clears throat> what do you think the problem is? We're going down and you're asleep. Why is Jesus saying to them that they have no faith? Because the boat couldn't sink with Jesus in it. It just couldn't happen. He came from heaven to do something and it wasn't dying in a boat in the, <clears throat> in the middle of a lake. And they needed to understand this just couldn't happen. He expected them to know that. This couldn't happen. And, and um, you know, it, it was impossible. Now, let me ask you this. If Jesus had fallen off the temple, could he have died? No. He came to do something. So what's the enemy doing here? He's saying, prove God. Prove that you're God. Come on, let's see you do it. Let's see you do it. Come on, you, you talk a big talk. Prove it. Like the Bible says he'll take care. Yes, so let's see. Let's see it happen. What would have been wrong with Jesus doing it? In itself, I mean, it wouldn't have been wrong in one sense, but he would have been obeying the enemy. He would have been giving him ground. All right now, we'll say <clears throat> Jesus had when when Satan said to him, "Make bread," he said, "Okay." I'm hungry, and he'd made bread, and he sat down to eat the bread. Who would have had the upper hand? Satan would, wouldn't he? Well, say Jesus had thrown himself off the temple, and the angels had come and protected him and just lied him down to the ground, and he said to the enemy, See, I am the Son of God. Who would have the upper hand? Who would be directing the show now? Satan would. And then he'd be primed and ready for the next one he wants to throw at him. See, the next one is it, and the next one is real complicated, and it's a perfect fit. Okay, so understand, he's working him up to the next one, and he failed, and he failed, so you know what? Uh, He hasn't got any ground to push Jesus on the next one, but he's going to try anyway, because this is a doozy. This is really a doozy, right? Okay, Sorry, verse 7. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You have to test the Lord your God. You have to tempt him uh, to do things. Verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Okay. What did Jesus come to do? What was his purpose? He came to save the world. Right? That's, you know, manward, that's, he came to die and to save, save the world. Uh, spiritually, there's a sense in which he came to take back the world. What did the first Adam do with the world? What did he do with it when he sinned? Who became the prince in the power of the air when the first Adam sinned? Satan did, didn't he? He became the prince in the power of the air. He took over. He won. God gave the world to Adam. Adam, take care of it. Have dominion over it. Watch over it for me. And when Adam sinned, what he did was he gave it to Satan. And Jesus came to take it back. Now what's Satan doing? Here, Satan's offering him, saying, look at all the, all the kingdoms of the earth, all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory of them. All right. <clears throat> um, I'll give it to you. It's mine, but I'll give it to you. You don't have to die. You don't have to go to the cross. Now, did Jesus want to go to the cross? No, he would have been crazy to want to go to the cross. Wouldn't he? Did Jesus know about the cross at this point? Yeah, he knew. Yeah, it was a few years off, but it was there. Jesus always knew the cross was coming. He always knew, and that, that night in the garden is, is the expression of a horror he had lived with all his life. He knows it's coming. What's Satan trying to do here? He's trying to have Jesus sidestep the cross. He's trying to get him to the place where he will give him what he came for without a fight. But what does Jesus have to do to get it? What does he have to do to get it? Come on, talk to me here. He has to worship him. He has to worship him. In effect, what did Adam do when he ate the fruit? Yeah. By the way, Adam's different than Eve. Eve just, you know, she took the fruit, she... You know, she was bamboozled. Uh, She took the fruit and she ate the fruit. Adam wasn't. Adam gave it to the enemy. He surrendered to the enemy for whatever reason. I don't know. But he surrendered to the enemy. Right? Now, the thing about it is that now Satan is saying, I'll surrender it back to you. I'll give it back to you. Just worship me you know what? If you spent your whole lifetime trying to think up a temptation for the God-man, you couldn't come up with one like it. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's everything he wanted with one little proviso. Worship me. Now why could he not worship him? Why could he not just bow down and you know, be saying something else in his mind but look like he was worshipping. Why why couldn't he do that? Look at Exodus chapter 20. By the way, this is is important stuff that we need to understand. There's some things you can't do. There's some things you can't do even if it costs you your life. There are some things you just have to say no to. And this is one of them. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, God goes into length on this one in the commandments, and, and he says you're not to do it. You are not to bow down and worship anything, Other than him, it is completely forbidden to you. You're not to do it. Why? Because, first of all, it's a lie. Jesus is going to worship Satan. Why would he worship Satan? Satan's not God, he's just a wannabe. He's a a one. He's not God. He's not the creator. He's not the one that sustains it all. Jesus is. What would Jesus be doing worshiping Satan? Secondly, God is a jealous God. Now you see, Satan is deluded. He's a deceiver and the deceiver is always the most deceived themselves in the end. He's deluded. And he really thinks he has a shot at this then. I think he still thinks he has a shot at this thing. He thinks he's still, still, I think he still thinks somehow he can pull it off and he will be God. And here's what he's doing. He's offering Jesus what he wants so that he can get what he wants. Now remember this, by the way. He's a liar. He wouldn't have given it anyway. Remember that about him. He's a liar. He will never give you what he's promising you. He will do everything he can to get you to give and then he won't give it. Haven't you seen that about him? Hasn't he promised you stuff that he hasn't delivered? Doesn't, when he comes and tempts you, doesn't he promise you joy and everything else that goes with it? And when you get the package, there's something else in the package, but it's not what you thought you were getting. That's because he's a deceiver. Because he's a liar. That's what he would have done with Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus was just on the brink of destroying everything if he had given in here. He would have destroyed everything. you got to understand, you, you can't bow down and worship Satan or anything else. You know, that's, that's the, the, the history of the people of God has always been somebody trying to make them worship something else and them saying no. The three boys that went in the burning fiery furnace We are not careful to answer you on this thing. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your burning fiery furnace. And if he doesn't, he'll still deliver us from you. So we're not going to worship your statue. Some things you need to get like rocks inside. I'm not worshiping anything but him. I'm not going to worship anything but him. And don't let the enemy inveigle you into worshiping him in stupid ways he'll try that too. Listen, you can only worship the living God, him only. And if it costs you your life, so be it. You can only worship him. Jesus takes scripture and he rejects what the enemy is saying to him each time and look what happens. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Do you know that when you resist the enemy, he will leave? Do you know that? Now, he's not going to tell you that up front, but when you resist him, he has to leave. Part of the reason he has to leave for you and for I is he's a defeated foe. You're defeated. You've got to go. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ and he's defeated you, you've got to go. And I hope you've had the experience at some point of sensing him go at that point, because he goes, because Scripture is true. And Satan will leave when you stand against him with Scripture. Now, what does that mean to you? That means to you, first of all, you've got to know Scripture. And, and, and don't worry, you, know, you don't know all, the, all, all Scripture yet. That, that's fine. You know, what you know, the Spirit of God will use. Secondly, though, it can't be just Scripture that you've blindly memorized. It has to be Scripture that's true for you. And you can win. Little old you can go up against Satan and win. Because your God is greater than him. And every time you win, God says great. God says great, amen. Amen. And you need to win. Stop giving in to yourself. Stop giving in. Satan will use the flesh. He'll use the world. He'll use temptation. He'll use any number of things. Against. Stop giving in. Stop telling yourself, I have no option. I have to. Go against them with Scripture and you'll be amazed that you can win. All right, number two, <clears throat> resist temptation. Look at James 4 verse 7. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Two commands. Sometimes we go with the one command, don't we? Sometimes we go to the resist the devil command. That's, that's not what you need to do. You need to submit yourself, therefore, to God. So, so what does that mean? Ha, surrender to God, yield to God, give yourself to God, right? Can you submit yourself to God and hold on to known sin in your life? Can you? Say it's something that's really important to you. Can you submit yourself to God? And hold on to known sin. Let me put it this way: If God says to you, "Don't do that," and you're doing it, can you submit yourself to God? Can you be submitted to God? No. I mean, it's very simple, very straightforward. By the way, uh, it's not 613 commandments. It's what the Holy Spirit has made you aware of. It's what the Scripture, what you've been shown in the Scripture. You know, you've got to submit to God. So one of the great protections that you have against the enemy is this. You walk in submission to your Lord. Everything he shows you, everything he shows you to get right, you deal with and you get right. You don't give the enemy an inch. You don't give him any ground to take in your life. Everything that God shows you is wrong. You go, yes, Lord, take it away, please, I don't want it. You turn from it. Whenever you don't, you give him ground in your life. Whenever you don't, you give him some ground in your life. And you know what? He'll take the ground. He'll take the ground and he'll build a castle in it. And he'll call it a stronghold and he'll attack the rest of your life from it. That's the way he works. We're not ignorant of his devices. We know what he does. He wants to push you. He wants to take ground. Then he wants to build on the ground. And from the ground, he wants to press further into your life and take other parts of your life. And he's good at it. And we're often very dumb. Uh, in terms of fighting. You've got to submit yourself to God. You've got to be in submission to God. And by the way, <clears throat> do you think the enemy will know if you're not in submission to God? Yeah. And he'll tell you. He's good. And you know what? You'll have no moral fiber to stand against the enemy if you're living and sin. you just won't. That's why the, 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 the most foolish thing in the world, Christians out there who are knowingly living with sin in their lives and saying, it's okay, it's fine, God understands. And the enemy is slaughtering them. You're in a war. You can't afford to hold on to anything that God says don't have in your life. You just can't. You say, how small a thing can I hold on to? Wrong question. The right question is, how can I get rid of it? You know, um, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, compares our walk with God to a race, right? And uh, it's an interesting analogy. When you race, you don't race in your top coat and boots. You have on the lightest clothes you can possibly wear. You get rid of everything that might hold you back. You might even lose weight for the race because you don't want to be carrying a pound extra. Then you have to and your, your question there when you're running the race is what can I get rid of not what can I hold on to nobody goes out and says, oh it's a cold morning I'm just going to wear my overcoat for this race you're not going to do very well in the race if you do that now listen when it comes to sin in your life it's not what can you hold on to it's what can you get rid of okay submit so yourself therefore to God now when you're submitted to God and you're walking with him then he says resist the devil what does it mean to resist? Say no. Stand against. Don't give in. Don't let him have his way. Just stand against him. No. Not doing it. I am not doing it. Now, we're we'll looking in a minute at what he'll do eventually if you do that. But the Bible says if you resist, if you say no, he will flee. Maybe not immediately. He's going to try you out but he will flee. Now, let me ask you a question. big, deep theological question. Why don't we resist? Why do we give in? Why why do we let the enemy have his way? Pleasure is sin. We want it, don't we? He's good. You know, he's good. He doesn't come and offer you garlic teas. He comes and offers you ice cream. He comes and offers you just exactly what you want. Remember our designer lusts? Everyone sins when he is drawn away of his own lusts. He works out what it is that's going to work on you and he goes after you with that. And we want it. And he knows it. Now, what happens when you say yes to him? Because we're all experienced of that, aren't we? We've all done that one. What happens when you say yes to him? What happens when he comes uh, with that sin that you like and you say yes to him? What happens then? No? You're going to end up paying for it. Yeah. In the end, you will pay for it. Immediately what happens? Say you're walking along with God and you're just enjoying your walk with God, Right? And we've all done that too, haven't we? were are walking along, you're enjoying your walk with God, you're enjoying walking in the Spirit, you're enjoying relating to God and so on. And all of a sudden the enemy comes to you with something and you go, oh yeah, and you go, you take it. What immediately happens? Yeah, the sense of his presence is gone, isn't it? The joy is gone. The fun of being a Christian is gone. Live like that for long enough, and Christianity's no fun. Christianity's a drudgery that you're forced to do because you know what—you've bitten on sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I.e., it separates you from God. Right? <clears throat> that's the way it is. Sin always does. Right? Okay. <clears throat> now, um, that's what always happens. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death always happens. That's life. That's the way it works. That's what's going to happen in your life, right? Does anything good ever come from sin? You say, well, there's fun. Yeah, there's fun. If there wasn't fun, that we wouldn't do it. Right? Is the fun ever worth it? No. Because the sting in the tail is worse proportionally And the fun was fun. Always. So we give in because we want it, but if we would just remember, hang on a minute, I've done this before, and it's hurt me, it's ruined me, we'd find ourselves in a totally different place. Don't give in to Satan. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Every time you give in, uh, it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt you bad always and remember this too that as much as you you and i hate temptation it's important it strengthens us god uses it to strengthen us and to help us to lean on him it's an important part of life that's always going to be there you're never going to overcome it completely there's always going to be those times god lets the enemy tempt you and you've got to resist when you resist you're going to get stronger Right. Okay, a last passage, stay close to the Savior, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to breeze through this pretty quickly, um, but it's well worth your, your taking your time and going through verse by verse and getting it uh, under your belt, right? Okay, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, how are you going to be strong? In the Lord. Are you ever going to be strong in you? When you're strong in you, you're really vulnerable. And pride is a huge issue for us. We think we can handle it ourselves and we're strong in ourselves. And I'm telling you, he loves that. He loves that because you know what? <clears throat> Pride is an abomination with God. Satan loves it though. That's his game. He's proud. He loves it when you get proud and independent, right? <clears throat> so you got to be, remember, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Remember, uh, John 15 verse 5 says, without me you can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. Without me you can do nothing, right? You be, need to be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. You can't miss any part of this armor. You know, if you, were in, if you were a soldier and you were in a battle zone and they gave you kit to wear, you know, you'd have uh, something to protect you from bullets, you'd have a helmet to protect your head, and you decided, well, you know what, I, I don't want the helmet. It's hot and, I, and, and it's sticky and I just hate it. I'm not going to wear the helmet, right? Where's the enemy going to shoot at on your body? My, he's going to ignore your chest. He's going to go straight for your head because the helmet's gone. Now you, you don't wear the body armor. He's going to go for there. When it comes to the armor, the piece you leave off is the invitation to the enemy. So you've got to wear the armor, right? <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, there's a promise there so that you will be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. Don't fear for a minute, he's too big for me, there's no way I can win. You can win. The battle's already won, you can win, so that that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now what that's talking about there is the rank and order in Satan's army. You know, the way an army has generals and it has lieutenants and it has sergeants and it has captains and it has. It, 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 it's an organized thing. Satan's army is organized. He couldn't be as effective as he is if he wasn't organized. And he sends people out to deal with you. You may never have encountered Satan, but you know what? You've definitely encountered one of his demons. <clears throat> and he sends them out. The, the, the rank of fat, they, they, they are ordered. Um, <clears throat> Principalities, there's a structure and an order to it against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's no wonder that our world is swept with evil. It's no wonder there's spiritual wickedness in high places. There's lots of it. There's lots of it going on. <clears throat> um, it's just there, it's a reality, and he's, he's got it organized. See, as far as he's concerned, it's his world. He's not giving it up. He has to. By the way, he's not giving it up. Why hasn't Jesus taken it back? Because he's not ready to. He's not ready to. He's using the enemy still. He's not ready to to take it back yet. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, and that's the second time you've got this whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. God wants you to be able to stand against him and to stay standing. And there are going to be some days when that's all you're able to do. Because he's pretty ferocious when he gets going. But God wants you to be able to to withstand him and to stay standing. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Right? Truth is your friend. Lies are your enemy. Truth is found here. This is the body of truth you need truth. You need to be careful. You need not. You need to take your truth from here. You don't need to take your truth from the world. You don't need to take your truth from other Christians. You need to take your truth from here. You need to be a student of truth. And you need to take this truth and you need to internalize it. It needs to become part of you. It needs to become you. That's one of, the, one of the, the defenses that you have against the enemy, you see, if you have internalized truth and the enemy comes to you with a lie, you go, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound right. That's, that's not right. You know? And one of your defenses is going to be the fact that you take on board truth. Now, truth is the black and white. Now, let me, let me, let me give you this. This is a hard world to live truth in. Because this this world is wired to the moon as far as some of the things it thinks. It is wired to the moon. You've got, you know, the whole gay marriage thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. That is so crazy. Do you, do you realize that <clears throat> in the 90s, nobody even thought about gay marriage. I mean, good night. There's a few people, fringe people. Do you realize that, that, <laughs> that uh, in 2008, The presidents in America stood against this idea that marriage was that that, of gay marriage. Marriage was just uh, between a man and a woman, and all of a sudden, everybody in the world flip flopped. That's madness. That's insanity. And yet, that's so you're having a hard time standing on truth. But you've got to dig into truth and stand on truth. You know, the same truth is true this year as was before. Uh, They had a referendum on gay marriage and decided it was okay. The same truth is true. And we're the odd ducks now. Isn't that amazing? Everybody believed it. Now all of a sudden, we're the odd ducks. We're the ones that <laughs> that, 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 that have got, to, got it back to front. They've taken the moral high ground and they've put us on, on the low ground because we're intolerant. That's amazing. It's a, anyway, it's a, but, you, but you've got to dig in on truth because truth is your defense. Truth is your defense against the enemy, right? <clears throat> okay. Um, Stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Second part of your armor is righteousness. You've got to live a righteous life. You can't just know truth and not live it. Every area where you don't live righteousness, you're giving the enemy space to get you. That's a piece of the armor armor that you're not wearing. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You've got to be bedded in the gospel. You know, the gospel is the central theme of Scripture and the central theme of life for us. What is the gospel? Jesus died for my sins, and he was buried, and he rose again. You've got to be bedded in that gospel. And, you know, if you're bedded in that gospel, that's how I'm saved, that's where I'm going to heaven. You know what? <clears throat> you have armor. And you know what? You take, that, you take that gospel and you talk to other people about it, and it makes you strong. It makes you strong. It's kind of hard to shake you when you're talking to people about the gospel because there's life in that. Put your feet shut with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. One of the things the enemy is going to do is he's going to send fiery darts your way. Now, what's a fiery dart? A fiery dart is something that explodes in your mind. Oh, no. What if this happens? And it explodes in your mind and goes up. And listen, it burns and it, and it colors your whole day. It's always going to be something to do ultimately with God and his love for you. And you've got to have the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts. My God will take care of me. I will be okay. He loves me. I'm his child. I'm okay. Now, you know what happens if you don't quench the fiery dart? It burns And it does damage. That's what the enemy wants it to do. It'll rattle you to your core unless you quench it with faith. No. My God loves me. He will take care of me. I will be okay. You've got to quench the fiery death, and you've got to do it quickly. Right? Um, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? <clears throat> the helmet of salvation. You got to be sure that you're saved. You're not sure you're saved tonight. You need to make that one certain. You know, I do not know how people live with the fear that maybe they're not saved, or uh, the fear that <clears throat> you know maybe they're going to do something that's going to uh, ruin their salvation. Oh, no, listen, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me, and I'm sure. And there's a helmet involved in that. There's no way the enemy can get me off that and put me in the place where I'm not sure I'm saved. You need that. You need to be sure uh, of your salvation. And then you take, need to take the word of God. And here's, here's what we're talking about, the, the verses, the ramas, the, uh, those short, that short knife that you stand against the enemy with. And when he comes at you, you come back at him uh, with verses that, that you've internalized that are real and true to you. And you know what? you put them to flight. You'll put them to flight. And then <clears throat> verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereon to with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, we're going to stop there, right? But let let me say this. We need to pray for each other, right? And we don't need to just pray for each other that we'll get jobs and have money and everything will go well in our lives. We need to pray against the enemy. Remember the Lord's Prayer? You know, the Lord's Prayer, if you, if you kind of give weight to each of the, uh, the statements in that, one of the heavy statements in it is, right? and Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's praying that you will stand against and be delivered from this enemy every day. And we need to pray for each other. Because you know what? The enemy's got a bunch of vulnerable people in this room that he'd like to take down. We're all vulnerable, aren't we? We need to pray that the enemy would not get his way, that the enemy would not take us down. We need to be praying for each other. We need to understand we're in a battle, we're in a warfare, and Jesus has won the victory, and if we will walk with him, we can have that victory and we can live it. In other words, we can live a victorious life. What What would a victorious life look for? look like? It wouldn't be a life where you're beaten down. Well, you'd you'd have times when you were fighting and you looked pretty beaten down, but you wouldn't be beaten down. You'd be flourishing spiritually. You'd be moving ahead. That's what a victorious life would would look like. And I know the enemy's going to go after you, you and I, sometimes, and we won't feel very victorious and we won't look very victorious. But you know, the plan is for you and I to live victoriously in a fallen world because we're on the winning side. That's what God wants for you and I. And you know what? If we will actually take and recognize we will know his word, if we will resist temptation, and if we will stay close to the Savior, keep our armor on, you know what? We're winners. We can't fail. We are winners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your people. Now, bless the Spirit of the living God, Would you work in our hearts and in our lives that we might stand against the enemy, that we might know victory, and that we might walk in your presence and in your power. And Lord, live those victorious lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.